Welcome to the Manifesting Clarity Podcast, where we work together to help you receive the answers to your big what's next question. Hi, I'm your host, Jen Roth. I'm excited to share how my journey of building a business as a massage therapist and herbalist has led me to my biggest passion, clarity coaching. My deepest desire is to help you create a life you absolutely love. So with each episode, I'll bring you firsthand stories and proven methods from industry leaders who have faced challenging decisions and stepped into their power to unlock a life of their dreams. It's my intention to bring you inspiration and answers so you can navigate your life's next big step. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I'm so grateful to have you here. I'm thrilled to introduce you to a dear friend who has become a quick friend in the last couple months, more recent friend, Christina, who has just launched She's Brave podcast. And I am so excited for you. So excited for the world to get to hear the stories and to get to hear your passion and life and vitality come through that. So will you introduce yourself? Who are you? What are you up to in the world? And look forward to sharing your journey and how you got here with everyone. Oh, thank you, Jen. Yeah. So my name is Christina Driscoll. And I would say less than two weeks ago, I launched my podcast. It's just called She's Brave with Christina Driscoll. And you can find it on Apple and Spotify. Really a dream come true for me. My story is that when my son was five, uh, my husband developed early onset Alzheimer's disease. He was quite a bit older than I was. So I became a caregiver to my husband and my son. And so it was a 12-year caregiving journey. So people used to say to me, wow, you're so brave. I couldn't do what you did. But let me tell you, Jen, I did not start out brave at all. I did not. And it was super, super terrifying. It was scary. And I had to learn how to become brave. And I think the way we learn how to become brave is by talking about it. That takes away its power. I think we learn by getting help when we need it. I did therapy throughout those 12 years. I sought medical help. And yes, I was on medication. And I am willing to talk about anything and everything. And I felt very compelled to start the podcast because I feel that, well, I, I started it for a lot of reasons. There, there's really actually only about 13% of podcasters are women. So we're not getting our voices out there. So that's one big thing. And I feel like as women, we don't get our voices out there. We, we are very quiet often when, when maybe we shouldn't be. And during my Alzheimer's journey, I had I had to make a lot of decisions that that maybe from the outside world they didn't agree with. Maybe people didn't agree with. So I learned to become very authentic with myself and who who I am and what was best for me and my husband and my son and make some unconventional decisions. And I really feel called to encourage other women to find that bravery and courage in themselves because we all have it. Even if you don't believe it, it's definitely there. It can be developed. That's what my podcast is about. It's about interviewing women and finding out how they became brave. How did they become brave to do what they, they needed to do? And it could be anything, literally. It's not just jumping out of planes. 
it's, you know, the woman who got divorced and had like zero support system because she moved across the country to be with her husband's family, you know? So what do you do? So, you know, blindsided her. I mean, it can be anything and everything. And also I, I feel that with social media these days, we are kind of spoon fed what success looks like and what we should look like and what happiness is. And we get it defined for us. But is that really what our happiness is? So I think we learn, need to learn how to find out what's important to us and be brave enough to live an authentic life. That's a lot of, that's a big mouthful there, Jen. <laughs> I just gave you. <laughs> love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. I had the opportunity to sit next to you at a beautiful dinner and it was just instantaneous drop in right here. Let's get real, have honest conversations. And it's who I am. It's who I've always been. It's what I love about life. And the more we get to learn about people and their journey and their trials and tribulations and what you've really been through is so different. You're an absolutely stunning, beautiful woman. And I feel like in my mind, I even have this stereotype that I'll be really honest about of when I see someone like you present themselves out in the world, especially when we were in LA, like I can create a whole kind of story about how perfect you are. Never really had any trials or tribulations potentially in your life. I mean, it's weird. I don't know if your brain compartmentalizes like that when you see people or if it creates stories, I could be the only strange one on the world in the planet, but mm, super no, interesting of like yeah. what somebody's wearing, what they look like, whether they have their hair done or they don't, or like and none of that matters. Mm-hmm. Like at the core, I love putting my hair in a ponytail, having a sweatshirt on and some leggings and a way I want to go or live in yoga clothes is like my MO. As soon as you opened your mouth and started sharing who you were, it was just like, oh my gosh, this is one of my soul sisters, right? Like somebody who had endured and gone through fertility journey and we were able to connect on that and so many levels. And I, one of the other things I absolutely love about this life is going to an event like that. I didn't know many people. And I love exploring and going new places with massive curiosity of who in the heck am I going to meet? What kind of conversations am I going to have? What stories am I going to learn about and have like this whole, I mean, I just don't know. And there's always one, two or five or something like that, that I walk away with that I think about over and over again with different choices and experiences that have happened along the way. And I really am so grateful that we had that experience and we got to have those connected quality conversations. And one being, I can't remember exactly how we opened or what we shared first, but you were sharing your experience of your caregiving and your relationship with your husband and taking care of two people at one time. And my grandma had um, dementia and it was just something that I was like, oh my goodness, I can't even begin to imagine. I, I had a handful of years with her going through that experience and I lived somewhere else. I wasn't even in her presence on a regular basis. But the very first time that my husband and I went to visit her and she didn't know who we were, or mm-hmm. maybe she still knew who I was. I think she still knew who I was, but she asked, how did you two meet? And that's something that she 
knew. And that was like super sweet and near and dear to her. And she was one of those amazing people that like, I don't know, there's certain conversations again that you carry, carry forever. But one of the gems that she left me with was she was like, I don't know, ultra, like amazing female, put herself together every single day, was super pencil thin, like just, I don't know, she was able to have a blast every day being a female and matching everything, her shoes to her purse, to her earrings, to her lipstick, to the the whole deal. And um, so I remember getting engaged and she's like, do you just lay in bed and look up at your ring for hours and see it twinkle and sparkle? And it was so sweet to have like those memories. So when she started losing her mind and not being totally present or knowing what was going on, it was like, oh gosh, here we go, right? Like this is a new chapter of, it's not going to be the same. And her dad had some form of dementia or Alzheimer's as well. And so I'm super curious about how it sets in at certain times in our lives and she was so aware of it and so afraid of it setting in and having that same experience that I'm curious if she would have had that same experience at that point in her life, if she wouldn't have focused on it so much. I don't know. There's just like a ton in this conversation. And another thing I love and appreciate about you and your journey is how you chose to make unconventional decisions and to really figure out along the way thanks to everything that you did or whomever your support system was to really take care of yourself. Is that's just something that there's so many things that are tough in this world. And that one, I think really is up there. Yeah. You know, I, I want to go back a little bit further for a moment. I love that. I actually got married in my early twenties to my college sweetheart and he he was just a very controlling kind of person. So um, I, I quite quickly figured out I was very unhappy and got out of that marriage. And, and for the first time in my life, got into therapy. That began a very intensive journey of self-discovery and self-growth. So I would say from my mid-20s until 30, I was very much into, you know, psychology, self-development, reading books, Wayne Dyer, Marianne Williamson, finding out what my spiritual beliefs were, really, really diving into that, and really just trying to become a better human. And I really do believe that throughout that journey, I did become a different kind of person. And so I went on a hike in my early 30s with a hiking group up at Mount Rainier near Seattle. And that's how I met my husband. Our eyes met. The minute I got out out of the car, he was the hike leader for the group and it was instantaneous. And I I could go into great detail about this wonderful, magical love story. And I have on other podcasts, but I think what I want to say is I don't think that we would have had that strong magnetic attraction pull unless and or resonated on the same vibration unless I had done all that interpersonal work. And my husband was a deeply spiritual man who had done a lot of work on himself and who was innately kind and generous and thoughtful. And had I met him five years earlier, that relationship wouldn't have, wouldn't have happened. So I really think it starts with us working on ourselves and we 
were engaged within two months and married within six months. Then we had four years of infertility, which you mentioned. Everything happens for a reason, it seems, because we had four magical years. Even going through infertility, it was okay because we had those four magical years together where it was just the two of us enjoying life and having so much fun. And then our son was born and then we had four more years or five. And then my husband developed early onset Alzheimer's. It did run in his family as well. I I know you mentioned your grandmother really worried about it. I was actually a master at hiding it from my husband. So he, I don't think he realized for a long time that he even had it because I would just cover up for him. You know, I, I was, I wasn't that person that said, you've already said that five times. You already asked me that question. I didn't do that with him because I always came from a place of, of love, knowing that he's not doing this to be mean. He truly doesn't know the answer to the question. So I don't know. I, I just was able to really show up and be really present. And from the very beginning, I, I at least had enough wisdom in me to know that this was my spiritual path and to just, instead of resisting it, to embrace it. Although there is a part of a, a coping mechanism in us where we we do have some denial and that's perfectly normal and that's okay too. So there is denial along the way, but I also knew that it was my spiritual path. And so I think that made it a bit easier as well. Yeah, that's incredible. And as far as unconventional, I mean, the very first really unconventional decision I made was to marry my husband, Bill, because he was super fit. I couldn't keep up with him when we were hiking, but he was 24 years older than me. He had never been married before. His poor family must have just been terrified <laughs> just be him being like, oh yeah, I just met this girl two months ago. We're engaged. We're getting married in like a few months. I mean, they must have just been like, what is going on? But I guess he was just really particular. And he always told his family, like, I'll know her when I find her. Like when I find her, I will know. And he just knew. So, and I knew too, we were meant to be on this journey together and we were so compatible and we were so happy. And I've had a lot of people ask me, well, didn't like, didn't anybody like make negative comments or say like, what the heck? Like you look so much older than her and no. And I think the thing is, Jen, when we show up authentically as ourselves and we're true in the decisions that we make, other people sense it. They don't question it because there's nothing to question. Like they don't even go there. Whereas I think when we're inauthentic and Martha Beck talks about this too, people sense it. So when we're, when we're being inauthentic, when we're not like actually being showing up as our true self, people sense there's something off about us and they feel uncomfortable, but they don't know what it is. It's better to just be authentic so there was no resistance. It it was just a beautiful experience. Yeah. And there's such a difference, right? Especially when we're focused in that self-discovery, self and like growth factor and manner and really tapping into the fact that we're here on a spiritual journey and that we have a lot to learn. And it's like pure magic to know that you connected that quickly and were able to just have that internal knowing especially getting ready to journey into something that you weren't fully aware of. And and were you aware that his mind was going or were you just not getting in a feedback loop of like, there's something wrong here? I think that uh, it, it it's quite clear with Alzheimer's, you know, my parents had come to visit us. We were living in, in Eugene, Oregon, and 
I told my husband, you know, my, my son and I are going to the park with our friends, you know, to meet up with some friends. And maybe an hour later, he asked my mother, where did Christina and Wills go? So, you know, they're, they're, the signs were were very clear. Um, and to be honest and really blunt about it, my first coping mechanism was denial. I And I think I just needed a lot of time to process that this was actually happening. So at first I didn't do anything about it, but within like probably less than a year, we, you know, we got a formal diagnosis, um, went to the doctor and that's hard. That's hard. I, I don't blame people for not rushing off to the doctor to get a diagnosis because we're still at a phase where Alzheimer's isn't really treatable. Like there's not really the medications, you know, some of these drug companies say that their drugs help slow down the disease, but there's really actually not proof of that yet. I think we're, I'm very hopeful for the future. I think that we will get there for sure. You know, uh, I needed some time to, you know, accept it and, and, you know, to cope. And I think that's okay. That's okay. You know, because once you get a diagnosis, there's no going back, right? Like you have to then embrace the reality of the situation and move forward from there. Very, 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 very scary time for me. And I'm just going to get really blunt and really honest. I was terrified because we were living in Oregon. I had no family around and made a decision to move up closer to the Canadian border to be closer to my family for some support. I had, I did have um, a, a time where I really had so much anxiety that I went to the emergency room, you know, during the day. I, I just said, I am, I can't sleep. I can't eat. I feel like I'm falling apart. And a friend of mine, her husband is an ER doctor. And of course he was there working that day. <laughs> Great. <laughs> so much for hiding that. <laughs> and, um, but, you know, and, and because he knew me, he wasn't able to treat me, but he popped his head in around the curtain and he said, I'm glad you're here because what you're going through is one of the hardest things that any human being has to endure. It's okay. And I'm glad that you're here because you're going to get the help that you need and you're going to get through this and you're, you're human. And actually I'd be surprised if you didn't show up here with having to take care of your husband and raise a child, you know, and he kind of gave me that pat on the back that I needed. And, and I got, I got on some medication and I got the help that I needed. And I I have slowly gotten better and better about opening up about that side of it, that there's a medical side of it for me too. And that they're, they're just in my generation, I'm 54 there just has been a lot of shame around asking for help. And that was something that I had to really overcome. I had to learn to ask for help, whether it be medical help, whether it be therapy, whether it be friends, family, I had to get help to survive. We were talking about self-care and how we navigate and what's one thing that non-negotiable for our days. And at minimum, it's like sitting and having a cup of tea or a cup of coffee or something to have that quiet time, but how important movement is or all these other things. And there's a new way of doing life, which is asking for help and really receiving help when we're in need, especially. It's so easy to, I know I can do it, swirl in my own house of like all the things that aren't working or 
how I feel like I'm drowning or not keeping up with whatever it is. And it, I, I have flashes and thoughts of wanting to reach out for help, but it feels there's some icky, not clean and clear energy around it. I think just by talking about it, naming it, and the more we can talk and name, and there's something in our culture and maybe even more so for women that it's hard for us to ask for help. We need to get over it. Amen, sister. Oh, it's so true. So true. And the more we receive the help, the better we feel, right? Or at yes. least I do. Yes. I know that. Yeah, absolutely. And yes. we get to hire experts too that love to do or people, sure, individuals yeah. that love to do certain things. Like one of the very best gifts I ever gave myself was having a Marie Kondo expert come in and help me go through all my stuff. It's like, oh yes. And now my closet's organized and color coordinated. The books are the same way and I get to go through them again, (laughs) you know, and let go of more. But having a powerful partner, I think there's so much and so important and having a powerful partner in every aspect and area of our life so that we can advance and get to the next place, right? Like if you and I were editing every single one of our podcasts, we probably wouldn't be where we are or moving as quickly as we possibly can. So thank you, Jacqueline, for doing that for us today. <laughs> she is our my my podcast producer and beyond grateful for. Oh, it's just it there's like it's like moving mountains. You can move mountains and you can climb over them and get to wherever the heck we want to go with with those teams and with that help. And especially as caregivers, I have a dear friend right now who's taking care of her mom and she's turning 50 next week. And she's just like in this swirl of, oh my gosh, I can't believe that this is where I am right now in my life. And this is not how I anticipated seeing and being back where I grew up and all those things. I look forward to having her on in a couple of weeks because our real, like that's real. There's yeah. hundreds of thousands of people right now caregiving oh, yes. someone and taking care of someone that they love. And it's, it, yeah. And as the caregiver, yeah, you, you can, you know, you change locations geographically, a lot of, a lot of shifts, a lot of changes. And like what you said, do you think anybody, you know, has a vision of this is how I, I wanted to spend, you know, your friend who's, who's 50, this is how I envisioned my fifties, you know, no, no, that is not how she envisioned her fifties for sure. For sure not. It's yeah. hard. So talking about these unconventional choices, can you mm-hmm. can you tell me about an, another one? Yeah, this is great because this is, is yet another way I also asked for help in a completely different way. Long story short, we ended up in a suburb of Seattle because my husband's family was all around and he comes from a big, wonderful, loving family. And they were wonderful about visiting him and caring and helping. And we lived there and my son just was never happy there. It's, it's a very tech, it's a tech culture community. People who have, you know, my next door neighbor, he was from China. He grew up in a home with a dirt floor, but he was the smartest kid in his village. So he got to go to the best middle school and there he was the smartest middle school. So long story short, he got a PhD in America and is living the the great life, you know, at, at Microsoft and works for Microsoft and has so, but but someone like that is going to push their child really hard academically because that's all they knew, thinking that that's best for their kids. So we were in a very academically pressured area, and it's not that my son is an academic; it's not it's not that, but he he's also 
a free spirit who loves to romp around in the woods. He likes skateboarding. He likes skiing and snowboarding and all of that stuff. So um, also a lot of depression and anxiety issues with the kids um, because they had so much academic pressure on them. And so one day he came to me when he was 13. We lived there for a couple of years. And he said, and my husband had, had gone into the care home and um, he said, mom, you know, I'm really, really unhappy living here. And said, why? And he said, you know, the kids here are, um, there's just a lot of problems. He said, I, he, he, and he basically admitted to me that he was trying to help four friends who were suicidal. So he was trying to help them to get out of their suicidal tendencies. And um, I was devastated to hear that news. And I knew he had been unhappy for quite some time, but I didn't know what to do about it, Jen, because my husband was really happy. He was in a great care facility, family all around him. And if I pulled him out and my son said to me, I want to move back to Oregon because Oregon was home. Oregon was where you know, uh, all our best friends were and my best friends and baby from baby class still are my best friends. And, you know, grown up together until he was about six, seven years old. So um, he wanted to move back to Oregon. And I didn't know what to do about it, Jen. It was so incredibly hard. And that night I went to bed and I asked for help in a completely different way. I did something I'd never done before. I prayed. I looked up at the ceiling in my bedroom and said out loud, God, I need an answer. And I need a very clear answer. And I need it soon. I need help, please. And then I let it go. And I went to sleep. And I woke up the next morning, went out to my mailbox. I kid you not, my next door neighbor was out there. I said, how are you doing? He says, not good. And I said, why? What's going on with you? He said, my daughter is in a hospital. She's in, she's institutionalized right now for depression and anxiety. She was top of the class from kindergarten. She was in accelerated programs from the get-go. Brilliant child, beautiful child, but had cracked from all the pressure. She was 16 at the time. Then, so he said, it's, it's just, he said, I'm so stressed out. I'm so worried about her. She's got depression and anxiety and she's in the hospital. And then he looked at me. Like I had said nothing about what was going on with me. He looked at me straight in the eyes and he said, I think we're going to move back to Oregon. Yeah, we're going to move back to Oregon. And I said, there it is. There it is. That's the answer I needed. That was God telling me that my child needed to go back to Oregon. And so I got on the phone with my best friend who's Brazilian. And I said, I don't know what to do because now God told me I got this clear message that Wills needs to go to high school in Oregon, but I can't move my husband and I don't know what to do about this and how am I going to handle this? And she said, don't worry about it. He can just come live with us. I'm Brazilian. We, we do this all the time. You know, families, friends, it's all the same. Just bring him down because, you know, she was my best friend and her son was my son's best friend. And so she said, just have him move in with us and he can just start going to high school here. And if he likes it, he can stay. And sure enough, he had a ball, Jen. He had an absolute ball down in Oregon because he had he was living with his best friend who also had a younger brother. Long story short, four boys living in one small house together romping it up, having a fantastic time. He thrived 
He set a long distance running record. He graduated with a full international international baccalaureate degree. He absolutely thrived down there. Here's the thing, Jen, as a mother, the easiest thing in the world for me would have been to say no. Say no, no, because it would make me look bad as a mother you know, so, you know, so no, no, you're going to have to stay here and go to the gigantic high school with all the kids that you're going to have to, because, because I need to look like a good mother. You know, I had to let that go, Jen. I had to just say, I don't care if people think I look like a bad mother for sending my child to go to a different state, not even a different city, a different state to go to high school, live with my best friend. I did end up buying a little condo down there and spending about half time. So I compromised. I was half time in Oregon with my son and half time with my husband up here in Seattle. It was the best decision. And I had to not worry about what other people thought about me as a mother. I had to not worry about it. And that's part of why I started She's Brave podcast, because I think it's so important that we make decisions that are best for us. But it's real life, right? And so many of us create this, and I believe that I had it from pressures or social conditioning, what my parents, grandparents thought they were doing, what was best for me of this thing called right and wrong. Yeah. And it just doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Like unless you're really harming somebody in a, in a horrible way, that to me is potential wrong. And it's still like a highly ineffective way of living your life. And so my belief, thanks to clarity training and getting to be a clarity coach is we have choices. We have choices to do things in a less effective way that is not going to be optimal for who we are and how we want to show up and what we really want. Basically saying no to ourselves, saying no to the spirits of our kids, our spouses, whomever. And then we have this effective way of showing up, which is what in the heck lights your heart on fire? What in the heck is pulling at you? And if you're asking for help, if you're praying for help in some of your darkest moments and you receive a sign, we get to do what is aligned. We get to do what our heart and our spirit and our intuition is saying, yes, like there's that nudge, go do it. You can do it. And by taking and and breaking the mold or the traditional, you need to stay married, knowing that you were not aligned with your very first partner. Huge kudos because how many women, especially, but partners continue to choose day in and day out, a hundred percent knowing they're not aligned. And then then we get cheating and then we get disrespect. And then we get like all of these other things that do not need to happen unless you're actually like really aligned. So choosing to remove yourself from that situation, that was not what you thought it was going to be. And I personally don't believe that any of us should be able to get married until we're at least 30, if not 40. Like, I don't know who we are. Yeah, I think I agree with that too. And I think it's just partly of because of uh, the way our modern society is set up, we go through a tremendous amount of learning who we are throughout our 20s. I don't think so. So when I got married the first time, and this person that I married, you know, he thought he was marrying a certain person. And then I I grew, 
You know, I was, I was a person who had very low self-esteem, but then I, I got out of college and I got a really good job and found out that I could actually take care of myself. And when I left him, this particular guy, he said to me, you can't take care of yourself. And I said, okay, watch me. You know, I don't even want to digress into that because that's so far in the past, but I agree with you. I just think that we, we change so much in our twenties. We are just not the same person at the beginning of our 20s as, as we are at the end of our 20s. It's very, very different. Yeah. And we're exploring, we're learning, right? Mm-hmm. And we're, but there's this tendency under pressure, at least that I observe and, and feel, which is this need for codependency too, like need to be in a relationship, get to find your spouse, find whomever your partner is. And some of that I do believe comes from internal of like, we want to be in love. We want to be loved. Yeah. We want to know how to do that. And what the gift that you gave yourself in your later twenties or second half of your twenties of really figuring out who am I and what do I want and going on that spiritual journey and knowing that you are love and all of the rest doesn't necessarily make the last portion of your relationship with the second husband any easier because it's always challenging. And at the same time, it does make it more understandable, potentially more digestible, like the, the, the ability for you to reach out and ask for help and maybe have a moment where you're so overloaded, feeling that anxiety in your body that you took yourself, thank goodness, to a hospital or somewhere to yep. receive that help and Thank goodness that your neighbor was there to be able to do that, right? I really believe that we have angels planted in our life in different places. I do too. Like, you're okay. Everything's yeah. okay. And they show up as people like saying to me, we're going to move back to Oregon. And I just was like, you can't make this stuff up. Like, this is crazy. <laughs> like, yeah, And those are the moments <laughs> that give me chills in this lifetime. And I'm like, yes. We all deserve this. We all get to have this. We all can create these situations for ourselves. And they happen every day. You know, like it's just like, oh my goodness. Hi, friend. I cannot thank you enough for listening. We're going to take a couple second commercial break as I introduce one of my very first courses. Hope you're having an amazing day and look forward to meeting you really soon. Are you ready to shift your mindset? The world has been experiencing so much more anxiety and fear than normal the past few years. Can you feel it? If you're ready to step into your gifts, release fear, build more trust, more joy, and manifest the life you've been desiring, then join me for the free mini course Untangled that I created just for you. I'm so excited to learn more about what you desire and help you live a life that's more aligned with your heart. I can't wait for you to get started. We're on the unconventional train. So what else is unconventional in your life, sister? The unconventional train. <laughs> I like that. I'm going to own that. <laughs> yeah. So the next thing was when my husband went under care, about a month later, we went and visited his his younger brother. He was the oldest of four. They were living in Wisconsin at the time. And they sat me down one evening and they said, we want you to move forward with your life because um, we know that Bill, and Bill had talked to me about it too. He he wanted me to move forward with my life. He, he was a very realistic kind of person. He said, you're very much younger than I am. 
I don't want you to waste your life. I want you to live a fulfilled life as well. They sat me down and said, we're ready. Um, I mean, if you want to start dating someone, go ahead. And I I actually was not ready. And um, I was actually slightly offended by that comment at that time. I just wasn't emotionally um, ready to do anything of that sort. Um, But if they were just trying to give me their blessing that when I was ready, that maybe I could move, start moving forward with my life because I'd already had years and years of caregiving and I was young to have gone through that. And so it's not the situation where we're both 90, you know? So that's, that's a whole different kind of thing. So, you know, then a few couple more years passed and, and another sibling and spouse came to me and sat me down and said, you know, you're very, you're very lonely and you're sad, and you're living in the past, and we think it's time for you to start moving forward because Bill doesn't know who you are anymore. He doesn't recognize you. Um, you're not going to hurt his feelings by, you know, by finding a companion, but please at least like go out and meet some single people. I don't care. And so the very first thing I did was join a single parent club, and that was one of the very, very, very best things I ever did. That group was a lifesaver for me. It was a meetup group in the Seattle area. And just to be with like-minded parents who were also single parents was gigantic. But ultimately, I ended up setting up an online on Match. I went on Match and set up a profile to start dating. And I just laid my whole story out there on the line. I mean, again, that was, it was authentic. It was very vulnerable. But I said, I am married I, I love my husband dearly, but he's a lot older than me. And I've been on a care journey for seven years now, and it's time for me to move forward. And his family wants me to move forward. He, he would want me to, and um, I'm not getting divorced. I visit my husband every day, but I'm just looking for a companion. And that's what I did. And it was super gutsy. And I thought, you know what? I'm not even going to get one response. People are going to think I am just the worst person on the planet. And, you know, I'm strange. And but you know what, what the heck, what do I have to lose? Nothing. Might as well do it. So I did. So I started dating. Uh, We have a um, family acquaintance friend who has a similar story. And at first, the very first time I heard it, I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then at the same time, like, reality, like shake your head, right? Like think, think about this for a moment. And that's where earlier the comment about we can pass so much judgment until we're in that situation Mm -hmm. and the resistance may come in, right? Feeling like, huh, I don't want to do that. And then a bit more of our logical brain starts to kick in and our heart too of like, okay, we, we prepared for this. We talked about this and this is the next chapter of my life. What does that look like? And I get to keep living. A word that you used earlier too was compromise. And in the language that we use in clarity, compromise is what we call below the line or one of the ineffective like ways of potentially doing things. Whereas the opposite of that is participating fully and or co-creating. And I I really believe that that's what you were doing. Like you were participating being with your husband and having a condo to be able to go spend quality time with your son. You were participating in co-creating with your son could live and your best friend so that they could create an amazing life for him where he could 
thrive in that situation. And so you are doing that as you stepped into this next chapter and journey too. And like, that's where energy and vitality is going to come from, right? And the confidence and or the honesty, like you're such an authentic and honest person. And that attracts so many people, right? Like it just, it doesn't get better than that, at least to me. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, how I ultimately met Blake, who is now my husband. And I I asked Blake not all that long ago, why, why did you pick me to reach out to? And he said, because you were so authentic and you were so real. And that is just so beautiful. And, you know, because people crave authenticity. We all crave it. We want it. We want people to be real and authentic with us. And that's what I was even on match. You know, this is me. I'm not perfect. My life is far from perfect, but I'm just, I'm just looking for a companion and someone to have dinner with and to spend time with. And so I, I met Blake, we instantly connected as well. You know, he would go visit to visit my husband I mean, that's, that's a, that's a real man. That's, that's the highest form of gentleman that you can possibly get is Blake would come with me and we would visit Bill in the care home. And one time Bill had lost his language ability, but, and he didn't obviously know who we were. And he looked at me and he pointed and he said, you, and he looked at Blake and he said, and you good together. That's all he said. And he smiled. You know, because the thing about Alzheimer's is that sometimes there's just sort of a window that opens like a crack, you know, and it just, and then it closes again. And it's, it's a lot of that where they get like a tiny bit of, of something. And, you know, I don't know, I won't know in this life, whether he recognized me in that moment or not, he might have actually known exactly who I was. And he was telling me, I'm really happy with who you chose. And if he didn't know, he still was always that person who was kind and gracious and who would say things like that. Like, you guys make a great couple. You guys are so good together. He was that kind of guy, you know? And again, you know, the whole authenticity thing, I didn't hide it from people. I didn't try to hide it. I just, I, I didn't, you know, go around with a megaphone announcing it, but I didn't hide it either. It just naturally, if people, if it came into conversation, I would just say, oh, by the way, this is my situation. And again, I think when you come from that place of true authenticity of doing what's right for you, people get it. I never had one person defy me or, or say something negative about my decision. And you know, it's really cool. My son, even like for the minute I put my match profile up, I, I sat my son down. He was about, he was in his teens. And I said, do you remember how dad and I used to go out to dinner a lot? Cause we did, we would, we, we'd hire a babysitter. We loved to go out and do things. And, and uh, I said, I miss that. And he said, mom, he said, mom, it's okay. I get it. He says, you need to go someone to go out to dinner with and, and do things with. I, he said, it's okay. You can do it. I don't mind. He was just, it's always, he's always been a wise old soul, you know, <laughs> my kid. obviously he's got some sweet parents and it's so neat too of I feel like this chapter and portion of what you're sharing is the essence of what we're really up to in this world which is 
even though we might not have our words, we can still connect with a spirit and a soul. And if we have one or two words or three words, we can put together a sentence that is picking up on that energy. So whether, like you say, who knows whether he was really present or knew who you were in this lifetime at that moment, but I feel like our spirits, like it's that instantaneous connection that you felt with him when your eyes locked the first time you met, right? And that is without words. And we get to experience that with companions in this lifetime and spirit beings who I believe that we came to say, hey, let's go do this life together and test it out and see what it's like down there. Yep. Yeah. Oh, so good. It's so good. This is the juice of life for me. This is what it's all about. And this is what is going to get so many other people to bring a smile upon their face or chills through their body, which I experienced so much through this conversation. I cannot thank you for those moments and the opportunity to look at our life in an unconventional way. How about we really learn how to love ourselves for who we are and for our authentic being and Instead of wanting to be something different or having something different, you and I were just talking earlier about the launch of podcasts and then comparing yourself. It's so, I find it can be so easy to hop online these days. I started Birds and Bees Teas 10 years ago, and it's been one of the most intense journeys of my life because I was comparing myself to others. Like these people got into big box stores, these, Mm -hmm. this company hit this milestone and that milestone. And it's like, I wasn't making millions out of the gate and I was hard on myself about that. And then all of a sudden you wake up, you start looking around, you're like, but I have done something really cool and I get to serve women and you get to have these phenomenal conversations with people, especially women talking about brave things that they're doing in their life at all chapters. So I just, I thank you so much for that. Don't compare yourself to anybody else's podcast or anything because your message is is so needed in this world. Oh, thank you, Jen. Such a gift. Such a gift. You know, my husband passed away two years ago and it was in the winter and it was during COVID and he had uh, swallowed some food and he developed like a, a pneumonia and they he had a do not resuscitate order. So he went to the hospital and the doctor said, we are he has 24 to 48 hours and we're not treating this. And I was fine with that. I went home to get a few hours of sleep. And that was the really heartbreaking thing about COVID is when someone's dying, it's really not meant for one human being to be alone in a room with one other human being. I I, I really would have liked one other person, whether it be Blake or my son or, but, but it, there, it wasn't allowed. So it was just me. And so I, I begged Blake to, bring me home for to get a few hours of rest so I could come back the next day. And his breathing was steady. And I've gone through that process before. And so I felt like he was, was going to be a, a, a while. So I kind of beat up myself a little bit because he passed away about two hours later, and I wasn't there. And it broke my heart. And um, I got the call from the hospital that he had passed away. And that was the second time in my life that I demanded God and built to give me an answer that he was okay. Um, I just don't do things like that, but I, I needed it. So I just got down on my knees literally and I prayed and I said, and I, Blake did not know anything of this. And I said, God, 
I need to know that Bill is okay. Please, I need a clear sign. I don't know what it is. Please just help me. This vision of a bald eagle, very strong in my head, very strong. I didn't know what it meant. Didn't tell Blake. I had to go, Blake had to drive me back to the hospital and I had said nothing. I was looking down and all of a sudden Blake is driving and he says, look, there's an eagle up in that tree right over there. And I just burst into tears and I just was like, there it is. That's the sign that I needed that he's okay. He came into my dreams for the next year and a half, almost every night back to himself. We were hanging out because he knew that I missed him and he wanted to spend more time with me. And then when I got remarried this last summer, the dream stopped. And it's like, to me, that is just such a clear sign. There's so much more to them, to our lives than our physical existence. There is so much more that we do not know. And all we have to do is ask, ask, and it will be given to us. And that is part of what has really helped me to heal because I know that my husband is okay. He's okay. Oh, I'm so grateful that you just shared that. I am remembering now that story. I don't know how you fit so much of this in in our conversation <laughs> that we had that night. I feel like I've known you forever. Oh, it's so, so, so special. And those signs I've heard from so many people along the way. And one of the reasons I feel like your story really resonates with me so much is there's a handful of people that I've had the opportunity of getting to be with and hold their hand while they've passed and gone on to their next oh, place. What a gift. And yeah, it really has been such a gift. And my grandma being, while well, I was not there at the very end, but my mom wasn't able to get there for some reason. I was like, hands down, no problem. I'll hop on a plane, get to be with her. And it was in the last 48 hours, I think, of her life. And I was able to just crawl in bed and oh. hang out with her and love on her. And mm -hmm. she had pneumonia as well. And we would flip her from one side to the other. And on one side, she could breathe a bit better and it wasn't as, you know, um, labored. And that was just, it was such a gift. And I knew that her or my mom would never leave me alone if I were ever in a situation like that. So to be able to, if they could, right? Mm -hmm. So to be able to give that to her at the end of her life when she had no clue of who she was or what was going on and she was so afraid and there was so much to be able to be there was like, oh, such a gift to just hold somebody's hand and just touch her head and kiss her and be present. So I I love that this is the last unconventional one because COVID is so real for so many people and they lost so many people not being able to say goodbye in a conventional way, right? Or what yeah, we Yeah, and you know, I had two doctors say to me, "Yes, he has 12 to 24 hours." And they both said the same thing. Also, they had done the COVID test up the nose, like really, really thoroughly. And they told me that he's a hundred percent unconscious. Like he does not know that you're here. He's not conscious. He's already gone. Heck he's breathing, but he's already gone. So go home, you know, like, it's okay. Get like four hours of sleep and come back. But it did. I struggled with that, Jen. I mean, I did. I struggled with not being there with him at the moment that he made the transition and that 
that's why I like to talk about it. Like it took, it, it, it's just, it's hard for people. It's so hard for people because you're faced with these, making these decisions and trying to make the, the best decision. Cause I felt like I, okay, I could stay up all night. And, but then if I, I am I going to like, I made the best decision I could with the information I had at the time. And with him giving me the message uh, um, of seeing the eagle, I've just been at peace with all of it. And it happened the way it was supposed to, and it was okay. Yeah. And so many spirits, for whatever reason, wait. Always so intriguing to me, like, who, what's going to happen with this next person? Or, or who? How, how are they going to choose to leave? Or is it, I don't know. And then that's a whole nother question we could talk about for days. Yeah, I, I think the spirit decides. And I think that in my husband's case, I think that he, he was just trying to make things easy on me. And so he left earlier than what the doctors were predicting. Because <laughs> he's like, you've been through enough, you know, like, let's just, let's just move on. And, and the other really fascinating thing with, with someone that has Alzheimer's, you do become emotionally distant to them because they can't connect with you as, as much and frequently um, when they start losing their language in particular. So I had, um, I wasn't feeling as emotionally connected to him at the time of his death. And once he passed, I felt more connected with him again and still do to this day. And he's still, you know, he's still there. He's, um, I don't know. I just know he's there. I just know he's helping me along. Oh, I love it. So, so, so true and so special. Yeah, there is definitely a, you're just going to visit another being in another body, right? Because you don't have that intimate connection. They're not sharing those same stories or gestures or certain aspects of who they are. So uh, thank you for sharing all of this story and journey and how can people reach you? How can women have conversations with you? What are you up to? What are you offering? Probably the easiest place is I'm on Instagram at She's Brave Podcast. You can also check out my webpage, She's Brave Podcast.com. I'm also on Facebook. You can either join the She's Brave Podcast group or you can just say hi to me. If I can help you in any way, if this journey has resonated with you in any way, I am here for you. Thank you for your time today. Thank you for your courage. Thank you for being brave and explaining what it is like to be brave and courageous in this world. So, so grateful. Well, thank you everyone for listening today and we will see you next week. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Manifesting Clarity. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. This helps others to find the show and we greatly appreciate it. Thanks again for listening and we'll catch you in the next episode.